It's time for a Swedish Fika with some Swedish fun facts with your host, Pixel Pia. Between August 3rd, 1991 and November 8th, the same year, five different shootings took place in Stockholm. All of them seemed to have the same perpetrator, since they all indicated a red dot on the victims before being shot, like from a laser sight, and they all seemed to be targeting immigrants. The four first victims survived, but the fifth died the day after the incident. After this, no more shootings occurred until January 22, 1992, when the shooting spree started again, and between January 22 and January 30th, there were five additional shootings with the same MO, one in Uppsala and the others in Stockholm. The perpetrator was quickly named Lasermannen, the laser man, by media. I myself was living in central Stockholm at the time, 0.4 miles from where one of the November shootings took place. And as so many Swedes, I was terrified. So today, we are going to take a look at who the laser man is and what led up to these crimes, the aftermath and where he is today. I hope you will enjoy. John Wolfgang Alexander Asonius, born as Wolfgang Alexander Zaug, the 12th of July 1953, known in the media as Lasermannen, the Laserman, is a Swedish far-right extremist convicted of murder and bank robberies. Asonius was born Wolfgang Alexander Zaug in Lidingö, northeast of Stockholm, Sweden. He is the son of a Swiss father and a German mother, both of whom had emigrated to Sweden. He grew up in Vällingby, a working-class suburb of Stockholm. According to newspaper reports, he was bullied as a child because of his non-Swedish background, which manifested in him being teased for having very black hair and brown eyes. As an adult, he bleached his hair blonde, used blue contact lenses and legally changed his name. Initially, he changed his name to John Wolfgang Alexander Stannerman and later to John Wolfgang Alexander Ausunius. He went to the German school in Stockholm, a private school, but dropped out before graduating. He later completed his secondary school education in an adult education program. Asonius was accepted into the Royal Institute of Technology, but dropped out after a couple of years of unsuccessful study. Asonius, who himself had become a Swedish citizen in 1979, had an extreme hatred for foreigners and immigrants 
which led to a path of becoming a killer. These beliefs led him to start looking for immigrant criminals to kill. Eventually he was tired of this and decided to simply kill any immigrant. He hoped that this way he would scare all immigrants out of Sweden. In 1986, following the Olaf Palme assassination, Asonius, then named Johan Stannerman, was one of the police's initial suspects. However, Stannerman could not be linked to the murder as he was incarcerated at the time, serving a sentence for multiple counts of assaults. Asonius developed a hatred for communists, social democrats and immigrants while developing an ambition of gaining wealth. He worked at a low-paying job as a taxi driver but later started trading in stocks and bonds. His talent for market quickly earned him a fairly large fortune, resulting in him adopting a juppie lifestyle. By the late 1980s, he owned a luxurious apartment, a Toyota Supra rather than owning a Porsche and a mobile phone. And before 1990, such a device was a luxury item usually associated with a jet-set lifestyle. However, poorly chosen investments depleted his fortune. This was further aggravated by an addiction to gambling. As a result of the latter, during a trip to Germany he found himself in dire economic circumstances. With funds running out, Asonius turned to bank robbing to maintain his lifestyle. He performed more than 18 robberies, largely in identical fashion. Between 1981 and 1982, Asonius served in the Swedish army and thus learned how to use weapons. However, his personal weapons were of poor quality, very likely because Asonius had modified them. He sawed off the barrel and the stock of his first rifle to make it shorter, and he fitted the Smith & Wesson revolver with a silencer. These modifications may have been the key to his failures in killing most of his victims, as it deviated the bullet's trajectory and consequently caused him to miss his victims. So let's take a look at the actual shooting spree date by date. Third of August 1991, Asonius shot David Gebremariam, a 21-year-old immigrant from Eritrea. Gebremariam was shot in the back but survived. Two of the victim's friends said they saw a circle of red light on his body before they heard the shot. After this, after this incident, it was quiet until the evening of October 21st, 1991. Outside the Stockholm University, Shahram Koshravi, a 25-year-old student of Iranian origin, was shot in the face but survived. On the night of 27th of October 1991, Dimitrios Karamalegos, a homeless man of Greek origin, was shot twice in the stomach. The victims saw a bright red light, heard the shots, but managed to run away. Although wounded, he survived. In the middle of the day of November 1st, 1991, Asonius walked into a restaurant kitchen in Stockholm where he had seen an immigrant 
and shot him once in the head and several times in the stomach. The victim, Heberson Vieira da Costa, a musician from Brazil, saw a red light before he was shot and got a good look at his assassin. The victim survived, seriously wounded, but was able to give a description of the laser man to the police. Asonius continued his shootings, and on November 8, 1991, he mortally wounded Jimmy Ranjbar, another Iranian student, who died the next day. Asonius then went to Las Vegas to gamble and visit the Grand Canyon. The laser man disappeared for a few months, but he would return. On the 22nd of January 1992, Asonius went to Uppsala, a little north of Stockholm, where he walked up to a couple and shot the man in the head. The victim, Erik Bonkam Rudloff, was a PhD student in medical science. He survived and he is now a scientist representing Sweden in several international scientific networks. 23rd of January 1992, back in Stockholm, Hasonius shot Charles Lakama, a black bus driver originally from Zimbabwe, in the middle of the day. The victim was shot in the chest but survived. That evening, Asonius walked into a Somali club in central Stockholm and shot two men, both of whom also survived. On the night of January 28, 1992, Asonius walked up to a kiosk where Isa Ibar, an immigrant of Turkish origin, was working. Asonius shot him four times in the head and arm and walked away. Ibar was seriously wounded but managed to call the police and survived. And on January 30th, 1992, Asonius shot Hassan Zadara in the head, a Palestinian store owner in Hegerstens Åsen, paralyzing but not killing him. The police investigation had difficulty calling in a perpetrator because Asonius had no ties to the victims. A breakthrough came when the police began investigating the information that the white Nissan Micra SLX had been seen during the shots January 22nd and 23rd. The police therefore began to contact all owners of that car brand. Asonius had rented such a car from a car rental company in Stockholm under his real name, but when the police tried to contact Asonius for routine questions, they discovered that neither the address nor the telephone number were correct. On February 25th, a summons was sent for questioning to a mailbox believed to have been used by Asonius. However, Asonius followed the news reportings, and when it became clear that the police were interested in a certain type of car, he left Sweden at the end of February and went to South Africa. He did not return until mid May. In March, the police had thus still not had the opportunity to ask routine questions to Asonius about the car that he had rented in January. It was also clear to the police that Asonius had a long criminal record. 
one of the police investigators had participated in the investigation into the Palmer murder and had then heard about John Stannerman, Asonia's former name, a well-known Palmer hater who previously worked as a cinema machinist at the Grand Cinema on Sveavägen, where Olof Palme and his wife had watched the movie and where Olof later on got murdered on his way home from the theater. This had then been mapped and it was clear that Asonio's profile was of great interest to the investigation. However, Asonius was in Kumla prison at the death of Prime Minister Olof Palme, convicted of several violent crimes and could be quickly removed from that investigation. During the course of investigation, the police had also discovered that Asonius was a customer of several pawn shops. At the same time, a mysterious bicycle robber had managed to rob 17 banks in Stockholm without being arrested. By comparison, the police were soon able to establish that Asonius had redeemed his things from the pawn shop immediately after the bicycle robber robbed a bank. When Asonius returned to Sweden, he went to the post office to empty his mailbox, and in this way the police found out that he was in Stockholm. As the police did not know his address, it was decided that the recognition rutel would spy on him. It was known that Asonius rented video films in a video store in the intersection of Roslagsgatan and Odengatan. And when Asonius came there to return the films, the police followed suit and were able to establish that Asonius lived on Ynglingagatan in northern Vasastan. The next day, June 12, Asonius left home in the morning. He cycled to Södermalm, changed clothes at the gate, and in front of the police scouts, he carried out his 18th bank robbery at Handelsbanken on Hornsgatan. When the police tried to arrest him, gunfire erupted, but shortly afterwards, Asonius was overpowered outside the property Helenborgsgatan 6 to 8, where he had hid his clothes in the basement of the house. When the police called for the Laserman, a phantom image was developed from the description given by one of the Laserman's victims. The picture showed a man with red hair and glasses. He had changed his appearance to look more Swedish, bleached his hair and got blue contact lenses. When Asonius had since been arrested, pictures were shown of him where he was instead dark-haired, lacked glasses and had a large full beard during his detention. On December 1, 1993, Asonius was sentenced by the Stockholm District Court to life imprisonment for his murder, nine attempted murders and three bank robberies. He was acquitted of two of the assassination attempts. When the case was taken up by the Svea Court of Appeal, the process was complicated when Asonius on October 4, 1994, abused his two defense lawyers at the Kronoberg Detention Center. The lawyers resigned and Asonius got two new lawyers. When the 
trial resumed on January 31, 1995. Asonius abused his two defense attorneys, Kerstin Korty and Pavel Fagelund, before members of the court. TV pictures showed Korty coming out of the courtroom with the blood running down his forehead. The court did not allow Asonius to change defenders once again, but he was allowed to sit with handcuffs on. On May 1995, the Court of Appeal upheld the sentences of life imprisonment. However, the Court of Appeal acquitted Asonius of one of the robberies. Between 2001 and June 2012, he served his sentence at Kumlanstalten. In June 2012, he was transferred to Österåker prison, but later the same year served his sentence at the institution Storboda. In August 2000, Asonius admitted that he was guilty of all 10 assassinations and in addition 20 bank robberies or attempted bank robberies. However, the Supreme Court held that the confession due to Asonius' low credibility were not sufficient grounds for rescissions of the acquittals. In 2016, Ausonius was extradited to Germany to face trial for a murder that took place on the 23rd of February 1992, the murder of Blanka Schmigrod, a 68-year-old Holocaust survivor. While German police was investigating the murder, they discovered ties to the National Socialist Underground a far-right neo-Nazi terrorist organization, which in turn led them to Asonius. On February 8, 1992, while on the run from Swedish police, Asonius visited a restaurant in the city's Openplatz Square. Two weeks later, he returned, accusing the cloakroom attendant Blanka Schmigrod of having stolen an electric Casio notebook from his pocket. An altercation ended with Asomnius shouting, We will meet again at Smigrod, as he left the restaurant. The following night, the 68-year-old was shot from close range by a hooded cyclist as she walked home from work. Schmigrod had been a prisoner at four concentration camps, including Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, and survived several of infamous death marches. After the war, she met fellow Holocaust survivor Sasha Feldman in Tel Aviv, and in 1960, the couple later moved back to Germany to run restaurants and hotels. Swedish police investigator Stefan Bergqvist has said, Asonius smiled and appeared happy when informed during questioning in 1993 that Schmigrod had Jewish ancestry. Ausonius has confirmed that he used to possess the same type of browning pistol and ammunition used in the murder, but denies shooting Schmigrod. German prosecutors sought a life sentence pointing to the severity of the crime to justify exceeding the usual maximum term of 15 years on the grounds of protecting society. Having now received life terms in two countries, Asonius, in considered almost 
certain to spend the rest of his life locked up without parole. Jonas Onius has now been extradited back to Sweden. On December 21, 2010, Örebro District Court rejected John Asonius' application to have his life sentence fixed. In October 2012, John Asonius had for the third time applied, which was denied by the court on November 2, 2012. And in May 2020, Asonius again applied and was denied. To make this perfectly clear, in Sweden, life imprisonment is of indeterminated length. A prisoner may apply to the government for clemency and commuting the life sentence to a set number of years, which Asonius have done on several occasions, as I just mentioned, and they have all been denied. And today, he is serving a double life sentence, both for the murder in Sweden and for the murder in Germany. He is now admitted to the Storboda Institution, which is located just outside Rosersberg, north of Stockholm. I can still remember the feeling of fright and uncertainty during these months in 1991-1992. We had never had anything like this happen in Sweden before. And it was a very scary time. In my next episode, I will talk about the holiday I miss the most from Sweden. And that is Midsummer. I will talk both about the superstition and old traditions that surrounds Midsummer, as well as how it is celebrated today. If that is something that might interest you, I suggest that you subscribe to the podcast or maybe sign up for my newsletter, which you will find on the website theswedishfika.com. Until next time, as we say in Sweden, hej då! You can keep up with everything from a Swedish fika on aswedishfika.com or on Facebook or Instagram as a Swedish fika. And you can reach Pixelpia at pixelpia at a Swedish fika.com.